0: Welcome to Note to Bennett. This is your host Benjamin Godsell and your co-host Nate Freeman. What's going going on, on? dude? Not much, man. A hectic day. We're both running around, but I'm not sure if you've been outside today. It's fucking beautiful in New York. I'm feeling feeling positive about life. Maybe it's just because I've had a shit ton of caffeine. I don't know um mm-hmm. we had a great conversation coming up at the end uh end of our little intro here with adam lindemann where he almost convinces me about nfts but not, not quite. quite no not no, quite not quite. Uh, not
1: quite i do want to buy some cars though yeah I, think, yeah I think i think it's time to buy cars
0: i listened to the whole thing already i interviewed it. it is one of the most fascinating interviews we've done i believe some I encourage everyone. in fact just fast forward through this blather and get right to it maybe
1: no fast forward okay so i just claimed it, uh, inaccurately to have not left my apartment in the last week, which is not true. Last night I went to the Odeon with two friends of the pod, James Michael Cardoso Schaefer and Alexander Schulen. Oh let me check let me of, check my text messages.
0: Let me check my check my text messages. I think I might have missed my invitation to dinner here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, no I
0: don't I don't see it Nate that's cool it, you was, know. it listen, was
1: drinks it wasn't dinner it was just drinks but it's fine listen we ODOM. have a
0: business relationship oh, you know we have a friendship on the show maybe not outside people don't need to know <laughs> this is all acting it's cool it's okay my feelings
1: aren't at all hurt well I went by the the, the, the gallery Lomax Alexander Schul and Fine Art LLC uh, to see the HR Gear show I had not seen it yet it's fantastic if you haven't gone please be line to Lomax and see this insane fucking Giger show, sit in the chair, Harkonnen's chair built for Orson Welles. It's wild shit. You know, I actually saw
0: James Cardoso, Michael, or Michael James Cardoso, or or (laughs) whatever the fuck his name is. is, Uh, He and my son went to go see the Charlie Ray show together at the Met on Saturday. It was pretty exceptional. The show is incredible. Uh, We'd get into it a little bit with Adam. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know you've seen the show as well. So sick. Yeah, everyone go run to it. You know what? We didn't, you know, you've been running around being very social. I haven't been. It's just a grind here. It's not easy being a handmaiden to the 1%, but it does pay its dividends in Stop. the form of 10%. Um But you know what? We didn't wake up this morning. I didn't wake up smelling like tequila with the chili powder sniffles, because unlike unlike a good subset of our friends, surprisingly enough, you and I are not in Mexico City for Zona Maco, which is opening like within the hour, I believe. Poor gallerists are struggling to get out of bed, to get in the shower, to somehow make their way to the City Banamex Center.
1: I know. I mean, like, in, in, in many art fair cities, the fair itself takes, you know, plays second fiddle to, you know, the panoply of dinners and parties and whatnot. Uh, in Mexico, though, the, the convention center itself is very, very depressing. And it really sucks to have to leave Condesa and go there. I mean, like, it's like it's such a beautiful town the fair itself is not my
0: favorite well i mean i sort of agree but all due respect to zelica who founded the fair i mean she gets international you get you got gagozy popping up down there you get all sorts of big players they usually do some tacos in the little courtyard area of the fair right we've eaten those tacos they have a nice design element Uh, at least they did the last time i was there uh you and i together in 2020 um but you know it has things to recommend it. But no, the city of Mexico City is just so fucking magical. So, All of incredible. our buddies were at, at Contra for lunch yesterday, hosted by Sotheby's. Mm-hmm. Uh, of yeah, course, that's a I know that lunch, that man. is a great lunch. A lot of tequila seem to have been had. I saw mm-hmm. some stories that might have been deleted by now of people out on dance floors quite late at night. I uh, saw
1: those too. They they should be deleted immediately. I almost <laughs> like messaged people who were posting that and be like, you can get fucking <laughs> knifed for this. Like you can get <laughs> knifed for posting this on Instagram. Like like the owners of that nightclub are not fucking around yeah yeah human kill you
0: yeah maybe um maybe but that's that's what all the fun's about anyway it was a a little bit of fomo but you know i've been there i feel way better this morning than i would if i'd woken up in mexico city maybe we
1: Um, can't do it all ben you know we can't be everywhere i gotta go to la in two days you know i have to go to la a few days after yeah
0: i understand i understand but i miss it um, you know what we're also missing in the other direction in our other one of our other favorite cities in London town, uh, I believe mm-hmm. yesterday, uh, Margot Henderson and her husband uh, uh, Fergus uh, were awarded OBEs, Order of the British Empire. I believe that's basically no, so, yeah. a knighthood. I mean, I'm not really so up on how these things work over there.
1: If anyone deserves one of those, like like shiny metal things, yeah, I'm not sure what they are. Whatever, who cares? <laughs> it's those two. Like they have, they're they're just you know as important as any you know cultural figure
0: they're as important look. as as any i would argue any of the ybas they came up at the same time they're, they're very much their history is very much intertwined with that magical moment in the naughty 90s of london um mm-hmm. and uh, and kind of where they grew forth of course you know they've you know have really gone on and are very much part of the visual cultural scene in london and two of the most magical human beings to walk this great
1: earth of mm-hmm. ours I, I I will pour an extra big elevens for you Fergus <laughs> I, I bet you will I bet <laughs> you
0: will um you know something like you know I, I was scanning through the uh uh scanning through the old insta and uh you know um much like uh as it could be said you know you would want to call Tiger woods about your golf swing if you're a golfer and you could um that's how you would think about your ability to connect with the bare facts art advisory network because no one no one has the better insight into quality the market and building long-term collections uh this must be a buddy of yours is dan salick who's a i believe a mid-atlantic guy uh he's somehow on the board of the hirshhorn um I'm so that guy. i'm i'm you know all due respect to our good friend josh bear absolute legend in the game and i love that he's using someone's private equity money to get himself better haircuts he's looking fantastic these days he has started an art advisory team including four people i have never heard of
1: i mean you know Basel. Yeah, God bless. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Rising tide.
0: I don't know. You know, it's. Uh, I'm wishing them nothing but success, but it's a little bit cringe. But it's basically like an. It's basically like. <laughs> I think it's like a conference call or a Zoom you can just dial into if you pay a certain amount every month to get their take Probably. on the market. But we're not talking major market movers and shakers. I mean, this is no, you know, it's like a guy a- who had a photo gallery I've never heard of that I guess washed out of Gagosian after 18 months, and uh, <laughs> I'm not sure who else is listed here, but you know.
1: Well, I'm sure there'll be a lot of panels that you can attend in, in, in Los Angeles next week.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd love a good panel. And Josh is extraordinarily bright about the pan. market. And if these people pass muster with him, who am I to judge? Except mm-hmm. that's kind of my job.
1: Yeah. Speaking of of invites to stuff in Los Angeles, have you been getting stuff in the inbox? Like, are people excited? It, it, is there stuff yeah, going yeah, the, on? Yeah, there's
0: stuff going on. Unfortunately, it seems like it's all on the same night, <laughs> which yeah, is like I I'm, know. And it's like two nights before the fair. I'm not sure how everyone decided that Tuesday was like the, the D day. Um, yeah. So, yeah, some a Wednesday's really fun dinner too. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, maybe you're more popular than I am, but you know, I don't have a vanity car, car vanity fair business card yet um yes. so you know but yeah uh, uh super busy uh, lots of cool stuff going on some good openings although i think it was smart for some of the bigger galleries to stage their openings in advance of freeze
1: um absolutely i mean that that's kind of why i'm going out for the weekend there's just so much to see beforehand i'm really excited just...
0: I've, i'm like i'm like booking back-to-back studio visits with people yeah um i'm really excited to get into the studio and see what people uh, what, what the creators are doing out there the creatives the creative class in los angeles <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, that's something that I didn't get to do enough of when I was out there in January. I've got a few studio business booked, you know, but you know, I also need to be in front of the computer, doing the tap dance with the keyboard. So it's a lot of time. Because, I know
0: you're super busy. a big column coming
1: up? Uh, you know, always, you know, I mean, unfortunately, got to do this shit every week. <laughs> that, that, that's what being common <laughs> sis. Uh, all right, I think that's enough out of us because I really do
0: want people to stay tuned and to tune to this amazing interview with Adam Lindemann coming out
1: live from the Upper East Side right after yeah. this.
0: Welcome back to Nota Bene. Nota Bene
1: back again. Thank you, my God.
0: and Nate Freeman here, and we're joined by the collector,
1: the wonderful Adam, Adam Lindemann. Lindemann. Welcome, Adam.
0: Collector, gallerist, writer.
1: Thanks,
2: guys
0: investor. I don't know what else. You're everything. One of my favorite people in the art world, <laughs> truly. So formal. How's it going, man?
2: I'm anything. I'm nothing. <laughs> <laughs> You're all that it's and more. going good. This is very exciting. I'm just uh, on the edge of my seat what the question's going
0: to be. Well, I mean, I walked you into know, your Lord, gallery. Yeah. It, looks like a, it looks like an Apple store that's closed for inventory. I you know. <laughs> just a bunch of shelves <laughs> with, like, you know, charging cables hanging out there. I mean, beautifully designed shelves.
2: Yeah. Well, I didn't really do the design. I'm working with Infinite Objects, which is a company which is the only company out there which creates the sort of the display for an nft and uh, i asked them to do it because if we get into how does one display an nft that what's the point of that so I just want them to do what they're doing it. And we're doing an NFT show this Saturday. That you are. Which I hope you guys will come to.
1: I'm very excited for Begrudging. it.
0: Begrudgingly, well, yes, I'll be here.
2: <laughs> it's, it's popular in the art world to not like NFTs. So, of course, that means I have to like them.
0: I <laughs> that is very much something that's in your personality, right? Yeah. If you see the herd going one way, like, you would be like, I don't want to go with those people. The, mm-hmm.
2: the more people dislike NFTs, the more I'm obliged to like them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I get that. I like. There's always the counter to the counter. No, I'm good. Um, yeah, I don't want to talk about your NFT show yet. Like, I, I do want. I do want to get to it. Okay. Um, but I want to get to your get background. Into I mean, you're you you've had many lives, I suppose, before we came to sitting in a gallery uh, here in the mid '60s. Um, how were you first exposed to art? You grew up here in in the city. Did your parents have any art or design or? Well, my, my
2: story is kind of a, it's, it's, well, it's not, it sounds boring to me, but this gallery is now 10 years old. That's true. But uh, my first exposure to art was through Alan Frumpkin's son, Robert Frumkin, who was the dealer of Peter Saul back mm-hmm. when I went to Lycée Francais, and my other friend in the school was uh, Paul Golub, whose father was the painter, mm-hmm. Leon yeah, Golub. Yeah. So coincidentally, I grew up looking at all these Peter Sauls and knowing this very odd man called alan frumpkin and his very strange collection and then i went downtown to the village and uh, i met leon Golub and watched him actually paint paintings back in the 70s as like a middle school kid wow and i thought it was interesting and then later on my brother introduced me to cornelia guest and she introduced me to warhol and then uh-huh. warhol introduced me to basquiat and uh, I met Keith Herring. And um, so I, I can't say, I mean, I was all of 22 years old. I would say, but I mean, you're, you're not that old. You're pretty young, <laughs> right? I but was 22 years old. But you were I loved
1: you. I was, I'm reading Bob Colchella's book, uh, you know, and that was out. The, uh, no, no, uh, Holy Terror. Oh,
2: Holy Terror, yeah. yeah. So I had a look, it was a brief experience, but it was a 22 year old uh, experience that marked me, you know, going to Studio 54. And I was mostly the tag along, but. I got invited to Halston's house for dinner and I've been I, in house. Yeah. I remember Victor Hugo and mm-hmm. Steve Rubel was there and the, the whole thing. So that created this sort of glamorized um, view of art in my mind, which I, I, mean, I kept for a like long a, time. A,
0: a Braddy Sanella's chapter or, or <laughs> a scene from a late Wilt Stillman film.
2: It was. And then actually Jane Holzer got me into the buying Warhol's. Art. You know my friend and from from the when i was 22 years old so jane holzer got a hold of me and got me to buy warhols from the estate and that's where i i met vincent fremont and then the Shout next chapter
1: I love Vincent. You like yeah, him,
2: yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah. And then the next chapter <laughs> the few, was when I met my wife. Well, when I met Amalia Dayan, who we got married later on, she got me into contemporary art, and she was like, "You're buying dead people, Basquiat, Warhol. Forget that stuff. Go buy contemporary." So, were you a client
0: of hers? Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that part of the story. That's, oh yeah, that's of course. incredible. Me cute, cute. me yeah, me <laughs> cute. That's what the phrase is. Um, a power. So okay, so you started out as a collector. So art came first and then design? Because I know you have a long-standing interest in, in design as oh, well. Oh, yeah. I
2: don't know how I got The design thing happened because um, I wrote the art book for Tashin because I, w- I was working on Wall Street. And there was a book called um, Hedge Fund Wizards. And I mm. wanted to create a hedge, like art market mm. wizards, because I was thinking about art in strictly market sense, and that's how I wrote that book for Tashin. it so and-
0: were you still on Wall Street when you
2: wrote that book? Uh, I think I was recently out. I was working in the radio business. I was just off a trading desk at Oppenheimer. I was working in the broadcasting business. I had a music company, 21 radio stations in Spanish. And uh, I wanted to be more active in art. And so I came up with writing this book. And uh, that was a lot of fun. And then later I worked. Well, I, I worked. I if you call that work, but I wrote for the New York Observer
1: for I recall four that. years. You guys yeah. were
0: colleagues. Were you at the Observer at the same I, time? I, I,
1: I was. I was writing for the Observer at the time, or call Adam making quite the 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 the, <laughs> the the waves there. I mean, it was it was the column to read uh, uh, more than any other in the art press.
0: Um, Thank you. That, that was as, fun. I, I, I remember, love that. I remember buying that book when I was uh, at the time. I was a curator in the museum world. And uh, I was like, these people actually buy this art? That's crazy. And I actually bought that book as, as an aim to begin to understand how private collectors thought about the world and viewed mm-hmm. the world. Um, and fuck, now look at me. I'm a fucking art advisor. Just, thanks, man. <laughs> you're doing a great <laughs> job, Ben. Uh, you're yeah, part of the media world now, that. thanks to,
1: to this podcast. Yeah,
0: and the media world. Um, uh, where was I going with that? Oh, just I didn't realize it came so kind of uh, close after your Wall Street days. Um, it's easy to ask people like when they first started buying art, and like, you know, that's a great story, buying costumes. When did you first sell an artwork that you made a profit on?
2: Well, uh, so then the, I also bought African art because I went to mm-hmm. Yale with a guy who was doing his PhD, my friend Bernard de Gruen. So he sold me a fang from Armand. That was the first piece of African art. But the first painting I bought were Warhol Jackies from Jane. We mm-hmm. went to the estate and they brought out like, Ten jackies, and I thought I'd be really smart, and I picked the two best ones. <laughs> what a doofus! I should have bought the whole thing. And I remember they were like seventy thousand dollars wow. at the time. What
1: year is this? Do you remember? Is this
2: right after? It wasn't death? that long ago, was it? I think it was twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, or was it more? I, hmm. I've lost track of time. It was in the late nineties. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were about six. They were. They were like seventy, seventy-five thousand dollars. Now these are the estate jackies, not the signed jackies that came from Leo Castelli. Mm-hmm. But these are still great jackies, and I think the cheapest one today is, I don't know. They varied between half a million and a million dollars. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And will only go up because, especially as as oh, yeah. goes down, like the difference between those two. Well, is it, it even possible to, to get
1: have. a signed Jackie that was that was sold through Castelli? Like.
2: Oh yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. and I what think for the happening?
2: Warhol aficionados, I mean, there's two types of work. is There's the work that was signed by Warhol in his lifetime and sold during his lifetime, and then there's the work that came from the estate, mm-hmm. was never signed, and stamped by the estate. But at the, you know, 20 years ago that mattered 15 years ago it mattered but over time Mm -hmm. these lines are blurred because nobody remembers become
0: less and less and and connoisseurship becomes less and just the notion of the image is what the image is and i think i think in 50 years there'll be an infamous difference uh, uh, yeah andy warhol about
2: 35 years ago and Basquiat the same 34. so people i mean there was a time when 82 like you buy Basquiat, you got to buy 82. right 82 and are you going to buy an
0: 82 that was <laughs> the mantra just like five years ago no i remember when i went right. to an auction house that was maybe not the mantra but you would price it like the year was very uh, influential in how you were you were setting the estimate on something like that
2: now they'll buy any year any year's good and any painting's good but which but what was the first
0: thing you sold out of first the co- work i sold of oh, contemporary work you might have sold other things
2: you know, I have to admit, I was always interested in, in trading around and changing my collection. Sure. I was never... Uh, I remember in my book once Jean-Pierre Lehman said, he keeps everything because it's the history of his life.
0: It must, I never be, must were, be nice to afford to have <laughs> that kind of thinking. I was
2: like, <laughs> I'm, I'm selling this, I'm buying that, like, you want to buy this? Great. I'll buy something else. Uh, so. You know, I have had things many, many years, but generally speaking, what did I sell? I don't remember. I think I sold a Basquiat work on paper through Amy Capolazzo at Christie's or something. Or maybe
0: I bought it. I, I don't remember. The more things change, the more the names remain the same. Right. <laughs> sold <laughs> sure, a lot of
2: things. But, you know, the thing is, you're, going to this podcast. you're sad about what you sold because it's worth more, but you forget the stuff that you didn't sell. It's not worth more. Well, yes, but so you know, I've,
0: on a yeah. much smaller scale, like I, I regret everything I sold that I made money on. But it doesn't count for all the things I have stacked in my office and on the walls, like my kids' bedrooms, that I couldn't pay someone to take away. Yeah. Um, but I'm just I, there is something you know because you bring up there's something of a generational change in terms of your age and when you started collecting and feeling more comfortable buying and selling things um, for contemporary collectors and, and treating collections as living things. I think that becomes more and more prevalent, which most people like it's such an addiction most people they're buying and selling but they're usually just buying so selling so they can buy more but i think there was an earlier generation of collector that really collector that really just bought and bought and bought yeah
2: well there's a sort of that hypocritical thing in the art world that still remains but even the biggest collectors they're all selling out the back door or wherever oh, sure. they're selling oh, sure. i remember when i sold jeff koon's hanging heart I think it was 2007, mm-hmm. and that was like the world record for a living artist. And it was like on Bloomberg. It was on television. It was everywhere. And um, I really respect Jeff, and I, I, I love his work. And uh, and I even uh, supported his charity with uh, some of the proceeds because I just mm-hmm. thought it was the right thing to do. I didn't make like a public thing about it. It's like, Jeff, I want to, you know... Uh, give to your charity and support you. But at the time, people were criticizing me for flipping when, in that's, fact, like, the Gagosian perfect. Gallery like made their prices go up 10 times the next day. It was mm-hmm. like,
0: what? Yeah, just for people out there, flipping flipping is not when you're dealing with a blue chip or no. contemporary blue chip artist. That's when you, you buy some kid's $20,000 painting and sell it for $150,000.
2: That does, I think that's unfortunate. Yeah. And I try not to be a part of that because, you know, you don't want to hurt an artist's career. But in this case, this, no, this and, helped me. Yeah, make, there's nothing going to do that. But I've never
0: thought of you being that involved in that very young sphere of art. It Feels beneath you, if I can yeah. say that. I, I
2: don't. Mean, I don't like it. Yeah. What were you going to say, Nate? No,
1: I, I, was, I was just going <laughs> to say that I'm sure Jeff was was fine with you selling the work, and he was even more fine with you donating to the charity. I mean, this is this is a thing that that artists come to expect. You know, their work gets bought by collectors, it gets sold by collectors. It's just how it how it happens. It doesn't always stay in the same collection. You know, I mean, you can you can walk through the Met right now and see a Charlie Ratio, and there are works in there that were sold by collectors who had initially bought it?
0: I mean, despite my aversion to anything NFT-related, I think one of the interesting things, like thinking of these young artists, is if you have um, these kind of digitally secure certificates that are NFTs that trade with paintings, much like certificates of authenticity trade with, say, a Yaya Kusama painting. In order to sell this artist's work, to resell it, it has to trade with this NFT. You have to Mm -hmm. change it from one wall to the other. And that NFT itself is encoded, so the originating artist, the person who made it, Gets a little slice of the profits every time his work is resold, and it's all so on the blockchain. Kid, so you can it's see it's all on who the blockchain. Yeah. So you know, if some young artist that sold his painting for twenty-five grand, and all of a sudden they're worth one hundred and fifty, and people are trading it four or five times between different shady uh, uh, runners and art advisors, that artist makes a little bit of money because odds are any market that goes up like that is not going to be that sustainable. So it's a way the originating artist gets a little bit of profit from from the way his things trade within the marketplace.
2: I think that's an okay idea. I mean, Just okay? No, I, I politically see politically correct. People like to talk about it. You don't but- like it?
1: Well, it's not going to be adopted on a larger or, 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 or very large scale, I don't think. No one thinks that's going to happen. I think it's applicable Why not? to... Well, okay, so there's going to be a blockchain approach.
0: I mean, with with Kusama, if you're trying to trade a Kusama painting and you don't have an original fucking certificate from the studio saying that that's a Kusama painting, it's not really worth anything. Like maybe 20 grand versus, you know, 150 grand. I'm not sure why the same couldn't be said for any painting. Well,
2: it's more like music. It's like the royalties in music. There's Mm -hmm. airplay, and every time your song plays, if you're the songwriter, you get a royalty, no matter who sings it. is that a good thing? I think it is, in general, a good thing if it's reasonably priced. If it becomes too expensive, then that is actually friction in the market. Yeah, no, of course.
0: No, I think that's, uh, that would be my uh, argument against kind of the European regime of artist resale rights. which exactly. is kind of Too and get high and really hard to uh, administer as well.
1: And you can get around that if you really want to by just selling in the States.
0: Yeah. Anyway the fucking didn't mean I to think go the down resale
2: that. on Damien Hurst's NFT is like 10 to 15 percent I remember thinking it was too much
0: yeah that feels like it's too much every mm. time
2: you buy one of his NFTs he gets 10 percent of the money Damien
1: Hurst is
0: being greedy
2: yeah I can't <laughs> imagine I like
1: that's too much I don't agree with that so when did you want to start your gallery Venus over Manhattan let's go there you know I kind of ran out of uh <laughs> things
2: to do. Yeah, like so. Why
0: though? Your life's being you it was you know, a terrible weird, idea. Beautiful wife, beautiful real estate. It was well, a terrible idea. A gallery, it man. was
2: a terrible idea, and of oh, course, really the one I've re- regretted every day. <laughs> but it always seemed like the ship had left, and I couldn't stop it. And there was always the next show and something else I would discover and get excited about. But um, it was back when I sold my radio business, and after a little while, I thought, "Hey, this is something I've never done. I'll give it a go." But I didn't realize what kind of po- politics of the art world involved in the gallery thing. And oh, yeah. So oh, much yeah. political weight. And I've always sort of not really cared too much about that kind of thing. I was just like, I want to do it. I can do it. I'll do it. What does a gallery take? You rent a space, put up four walls. But it was a funny place to be because as someone who would – been a collector was a collector wrote about collecting did a book on collecting wrote articles about collecting did podcasts about collecting and suddenly you're an art i thought a gallerist they wanted me to be a dealer and then you're in a weird place because you're not a collector and you're not a dealer. So like, what are you?
1: (laughs) But doesn't that make it fun to just like (laughs) defy expectations and sort of just do it your own way? I don't think the gallery has always done it its own way. You've always put on shows that you really care about, shows that, that, you know, you're not in any way boxed into doing, you know, and that comes across in the programming.
2: Yeah. Well, thanks, Nate. I mean, it's gotten better and better and better and it's actually the best it's ever been. And uh, last year was the best year we've ever had. So, you know, some people came to save the day, and Peter Saul was one of them.
1: Mm. Um, but um, So, Ben, you missed yeah. out, but there is a hell of a Peter Saul show uh, in San Francisco yeah, right but le- now.
0: Luckily, I didn't have to go to Curse San Francisco, so, you know, it was a way hey, end.
1: I got to see this Peter Saul show, and I got to go I, to Swan you, Oyster Depot. So, okay. I know. like Peter Saul, and I like oysters, so there you go. And, you but know, you the always-
2: critics helped me, too. Roberta Smith helped me. Jerry Saltz helped me. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the critics came in and, and gave me some good ink and that that helped the gallery well, you've
0: always shown i would say things that are a little bit outside the mainstream we talked before how like when when you see the herd going in one direction you kind of want to well what's around this other corner where no one's going uh outsider artists um you did a show of uh some oceanic and uh or kind of kind that was good the vanuatu incredible show Lonnie things Halley like show that aren't what, you, you. aren't what we expect we I mean, were talking about buying and selling Basquiat's and warhols and coons but you're really showing things a little more idiosyncratic that take a lot of time to look at and spend time with and have a real soul to them. So I think that kind of, like, what would probably drew, drew those critics to you and to the shows.
2: Yeah, they're kind of shows for art lovers. Mm. And I don't know, are there enough of us left?
1: I mean, I remember when, I think this was a Freeze Masters, you did a John Dogg solo booth. Oh, that was one of the best. And it was so good, and it was just the nerdiest <laughs> shit. It was really just, like, you know, ten people who were, like, obsessed with this. Like, like, like... And, you know, like freaking out about calling the land and about you know, like like this very minuscule moment in like the East Village arts scene in the eighties. Oh, and thanks! I, I still cherish
2: that catalog, and I go through it all the time. Yeah, thank you. That was a great. So Zach wrote the catalog resume of John Dog, an artist that never lived, mm. and then I sent it to Richard Prince. And he said, John, who says John Dogg is not opposed? Or something like this, some cryptic <laughs> message. John Dog does not disagree with this publication. <laughs> Very Richard. We <laughs> were like, go for it. But it was a great idea to bring back this artist that never lived, but... Mm-hmm. Who really appreciated? I don't know. It I'm that? glad you did. Thank
1: it
0: was you. Much, it was like, much commercial success. It to was that? like
1: me and Andrew Russet, and like I don't, I don't know who. We else.
2: didn't sell a piece. Yeah. Like literally nothing sold. Beth DeWoody bought one small piece, and that was it. And I was so that was hard. But um, over time, all of the shows that we've ever done have actually sold, and they just take a little time. And then people mm-hmm. call me up like six months later, a year later. Oh, I have someone for this. Do you still have it? So the best thing to do is also to show what you actually believe in and collect some of it. And so ultimately you're sharing with the public something that you already have or that you believe in, that's an easier thing to
0: do. I mean, that's the old school version of being a gallerist. Being, like, this is my passion, like this is what I love. Mm. I happen to have great taste. Come and see it.
2: And that's why I think this gallery is kind of an anachronism, really. Yeah. I mean, this is a sort of
1: leftover right. and old way. And so speaking about showing you believing <laughs> in, uh, next The next show is is, is an NFT show of squiggles. I know. The art world
2: hates NFTs. Even my staff
1: is like... (laughs) I
2: I noticed your partner, your senior partner, is not (laughs) not around. (laughs) They're all like, (laughs) no one's here. They they all left. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, the NFTs, because I don't really think most NFTs are art. And I mm-hmm. think that the auction houses have kind of like availed themselves of easy money and they're saying, like, this is art, a crypto punk is art, a bored ape is art, this is art. whatever sells for money is art, which I don't actually believe. But one project that I was exposed to at a, at a crypto cocktail party I went to by chance. Wait, wait,
1: back up a little bit, a crypto cocktail a party crypto that you A crypto mixer, yeah. <laughs> was Go. this in the metaverse or was it actually real? No, no one's getting laid there. Man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, <Go on. laughs> it was like a crypto mixer at, uh, at uh, Mike Novogratz's apartment. Mm-hmm. And I, there was this guy called Snowfro, Eric Calderon, and he's the creator of Art Blocks. And he created the Chromie Squiggle. And I really thought squiggles are so interesting because they just look like the, the paintbrush, like a paintbrush went across a canvas. Or they're very simple, but they're created by a computer. And I thought, this makes sense. Computer art for people into computers like i'm not trying to sell them a work by damien hurst or peter saul or by picasso this is just computer art for people who have computers and the thing is we all have computers our phones are computers sure so this is inevitable people will be buying this trading this trafficking this selling this collecting this it's just it's not part of our art world this is a whole new audience is a whole new thing so I asked Eric if he wanted a show and what's interesting about the squiggles there were 10,000 minted but there are 12 different types and so this exhibition will examine what are the 12 different types of squiggles and what's it about how
0: does it work and and to be clear, they're sli- and I can't believe I'm gonna shrill like this, but the- to be clear, they're, they're they're a little bit different than something like a, one of these bathing apes or whatever they're called. In that they're not static; they're actually generative computer programs that right. change over time, and they're given a set of instructions within a very narrow set of parameters, and that's what can be one of the squiggles, the color, form, movement. And etc. Right?
2: Yeah. It looks kind of like a noodle. Yeah. Uh, but the, the they rainbow look goes cool. through they but, look no, cool. but,
0: they're, but they're instruction based, almost like a Vito Acconci work, or you know, uh, even a John Cage like thing. <laughs> it's and there's there's a, a, here, that there's a, a conceptual bedrock to them. I just you know, as you said, there are many art worlds. It's something an early boss in the art world taught me. I mean, there's the opera gallery art world, like you know, there's money laundering right. and whatnot. There's Alec Monopoly art world and engine fire. Sure. Alec Monopoly, friend of the pod, oh. friend of the pod, Alec Monopoly, our favorite. He is? Did you No did but you do I'm, a a weird, podcast I'm weirdly with obsessed with him I can't even just he, the whole He does love the podcast though He's a, he's a the fan. bad taste Navurushi. I think I'm like really like hyped on. Him. Like, I'm really <laughs> I met him it. in
2: Puerto Rico. I bet. I didn't even know who he was. Someone Wait, said, expand on that's
0: that. Al- Someone said that's Alec Monopoly.
2: I'm like, really? Who's Alec Monopoly? Then I <laughs> looked into it and I met him. I follow him on Instagram. It's amazing.
0: It's Instagram. Yeah. I'm really like psychotically it's Amazing. With it. I mean, the, the new watch with Jacob the jeweler. We talk about different art yeah. worlds. Alec and,
1: and, and that's his own art world. It's just Alec Monopoly. Yeah, that's yeah. it.
0: But anyway, but there are different art worlds. I'm I'm trying very hard to be open to and. Because I think there's nothing worse. The reason I got into the into art. Is because i want to learn everything new about new things in the world and new vision so i'm trying very hard not to be one of these conservative people that closes my mind to the new simply because it's different than than well my sometimes background. i take
2: a warholian view it's like it's happening it's moving it's exciting it's new let's understand it's what just, it is with
0: most of them i've seen i'm, I'm cribbing from a, a tweet that i saw it's like most of these people that are making these like have you ever seen anything before right like literally have you ever seen anything just like walking down the street because they're so uh, aesthetically banal and empty of, of meaning to me. So that well, makes many me a are, but and these, 99%. These yeah, 99%, 99% we'll go of the away. You know.
2: well, yeah. But is the art fair art yeah, so I mean, good? I was like. trying to do
0: the math out of my head when I paused there. I mean, yeah. let's face it, 95 plus percent of it is going to be forgotten in five years. I think these around. early
2: projects will be interesting, and they are part of generative art, they're part of what's going on in the computer world. It's very different from a painting because these
1: companies and these artists are back or these
2: creators are backed by VCs.
1: Right. Well, board apes, who's was revealed today, the creators were outed by Buzzfeed and it turns out they were part of this like startup. A, and Horst, and and Horst. They're,
0: yeah. They're raising a lot around a capital. and might, might sell themselves right now. Yeah. Um, but I, I do, you know, we've, Previous generations of wealth creation uh, in America, at least, have all eventually found themselves collecting, even if they, you know, even if they were first or second generation, you know, from the from the really from the 18th century on forward. And and we've over the past 30 years, we've tried with kind of West Coast tech entrepreneurs, you know, the art world. When I say we, to kind of introduce them, you know, we you had people opening up pop ups over the past 15 years or small galleries up in the Silicon Valley area and it's never really caught and I think I mean one of the reasons I've always thought is many of these people made their fortunes on making the world as frictionless as possible as efficient as possible and art the art market itself is inefficient and even more so art itself is inefficient it is difficult it makes no fucking sense it's a waste of time and space for me that's one of the brilliant things because it sets you outside of the everyday and allows you to have a semi-metaphysical or almost religious experience in the best of cases and to them I think it just doesn't make any sense because it's like why is this thing here? It doesn't make any sense. It costs money to move, to pick up, to put on the wall, to insure, as opposed to an NFT, which is like, you know, light is air, but perhaps conceptually as such as well. Anyway, I'm going to come see the show. I'm looking forward to it. I agree. It's yeah, the beginning of intent, something.
2: The yeah. It's the yeah. beginning of something. Let's not... Judge it before yeah. it's even. It's,
0: happened. Like, it's like it's like when Sony. It's like when Sony uh, took their early camcorders to downtown artists in the 1970s and just gave them out the port-a-packs. Like, well, let's yeah. see what you can do. And then all of a sudden, you had like Nam June Pike and other folks doing kind of radical I, I, things.
1: I'm very much looking forward to your show, and I'm looking forward to people's show at Jack Hanley. I really am. I think that that that. Oh, that, is that announced? Oh yeah. When will that be? Uh, sometime in March. I'm not sure yeah, what the know. opening date is. But it's good but, for Jack, man. He's yeah. like
0: the last the last little part of Jack's life has really like turned an interesting corner yeah. That's yeah. God be a passing show.
2: but this all makes me think often of the Banksy show when he had that show in LA remember when he rented that mm-hmm. warehouse in LA and there was no gallery there were no dealers and people like myself poo-pooed it and we were like I, I remember thinking okay so Brad Pitt bought a Banksy like what does right. Brad Pitt know about art I don't care how many Angelina Jolie bought like It's meaningless to me. This is not justified. And honestly, I really don't like Banksy's politics. I think they're cheap shots and they're very facile. But Banksy's at twelve and fifteen million dollars, I gotta bite my friggin' tongue. Sorry, but like I went to Christie's and the two biggest lots are Beeple and Banksy. That just
1: happened though. Yeah, I mean like that (laughs) that just happened. (laughs) Yeah, but
2: it's people and Banksy. Like my art world is now like old and tired. I got like refresh. I know, but I
1: don't know.
0: I like old and tired. Um,
2: well, we always will, and it will stay with us forever, and this will never change. But there are new markets, and this is part of the zeitgeist that 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 Nate has has to write about.
1: I I, I guess I do have to write about occasionally. Yeah, you know.
0: <laughs> no, no. it's it's what the people want. Um, so maybe not. Well, one thing before we get off the gallery, I, just, I was very. I remember when you opened the gallery, and it kind of made sense as a project. Oh, it thank was like you. Revision. But then when I started seeing you at art fairs, I was like, "Why is he going to do that to himself?" So painful. So painful, and actually, I was really <laughs> sur- and I was really surprised. I'm mean, I'm not even just being kind of uh, blasé about it. Like, has that added to you? Have you missed them now that they haven't been around? Will you do them again?
2: Well, my team wants art fairs, and the artists deserve art fairs. And the shows, you know, you have to go where the people are. So uh, maybe this is self-flagellating, but... the, the truth is, everyone else has to do it, and I just like bit the bullet. And I'm like, if I got to stand here, and you, luckily, if I can't stand here, just getting into the. I mean, the politics of. I mean, I've done right. beautiful shows, and okay. many other dealers have as well. So I'm not saying that mine are better or worse, but the politics of getting into these art fairs is just brutal, and also the the, the sort of the, the the squeeze of like they don't want anyone in; they just want to keep going with the with the old guard forever so it's a tricky thing the art fair but generally speaking i think you gotta sh- you gotta show
0: up okay i mean i'm not I, right. I, I happen to love them because it's an efficient way for me to do my kind of business but like do you when love I saw them? I used... you're
1: there for like two nights then you bounce yeah that's what i love man i come <laughs> i transact i leave <laughs> okay I, mean. I like
2: some better than others like i like
1: miami yeah of course Contrary your, your infamous column <laughs> from... <laughs> oh, oh boy, well, God. I forgot about that. That was so good.
2: Just got it. I love the Miami Fair. I think that's the best one. And it's interesting that I think Sam Keller really supported the Miami Art Fair because he liked to go out at night and stay out all night, like mm-hmm. we all know. Still and, does And it was a better place to do it in Miami.
0: <laughs> it's way it, more fun it, to rage there
2: than
1: in Boston. Bomb Trust like, me, I've done it in both. <laughs> like, I'm in favor of Miami. Yeah. Let's get out of here. Right.
0: Um, in addition to contemporary art, you have a longstanding commitment and interest in architecture and design. Like, how did that come about? Like, I understand art because it's my world, and while I like architecture and design, how does one get into that? Like, there's I don't f- know. way fewer resources. You, like, how did you start buying furniture? Was it just Patrick or like? No, I don't,
2: I forgot what happened. I started to I, oh, that's what. I, I, I really enjoyed doing the art books. I needed a new book. so I thought design was really good and mm. had the same thing. And also we had people in design like Peter Marino, of course. We had Mark Jacobs. we had like there was interesting people that I could talk to and interact with. And truthfully, the writing about it was a way to educate myself. And I'm mostly interested in learning. And that's the fun of it. So whether it's learning about art, learning about artists, learning about design, learning about technology, like I'll just study anything.
0: <laughs> well, I've, I've heard you say that research is your favorite part of the project of collecting or whatever it is you do is the research. Phase. It's the fun. Yeah, it's the fun.
2: Understanding the why this is valued and why this is interesting and why someone doesn't like it. Like when people don't like it, I get really interested because I try to understand, well, why don't they like it? Like, what, what's the issue?
0: Um, you're also a great adventurier, uh, like you're out in the world. Is that a word? Can I just make that up? is not a word. No. I like that. What does that even mean? I'll take adventurer. It. Adventurer. That's a- what I was looking yeah, for. A- <laughs> I may or may not edit that out. Um, <laughs> but I see you on like crazy ski trips, and I know you know you're a man that likes to spend time on the water and by the water. Like you're a hardy guy. Like, <laughs> like what's what's the craziest place you've ever been in search for adrenaline and or vistas? Great question, Ben
2: oh thank you well um, I kind of I've always liked pushing myself and scaring myself Mm -hmm. so I don't know why that is and maybe I'll get over it but uh, it became a thing to like you know do something extreme and put it on your instagram or something or go (laughs) surfing or foiling or helicopter skiing or whatever um a few years ago i got into race car driving that really Mm -hmm. scared me that was terrifying also to start midlife driving a race car which you've never done before and go 197 miles an hour in daytona that was and also i crashed a lot of those cars which was also, scary. And the stuff, yeah, okay. They're fairly <laughs> expensive all, pieces of machinery. Yeah, a fortune. Do you still collect cars?
0: <laughs> I have a few motorcycles. I got a couple of cars here and there. I mean, that market's gone absolutely insane during the pandemic. It was already on an upswing, but for, on, for on vin- all levels, for, even
1: like, like the really expensive vintage cars, I mean, I think so. So, you know what
0: happened is so, also, I was going to do a car book,
2: I was going to do collecting cars, but then I thought, cars are fun for me but they're not interesting enough to do a book there's plenty of coffee table books yeah not so I didn't do it but what really came up and this will come back to both of you is what came up is like the street cars not Mm. race cars race cars have been flat to down and the very expensive very important cars are kind of like stuck but all those sort of Porsches are up All the stuff that, like, a broader part of the market can buy during COVID. And what's really up is watches. Everyone's like, I'm going to segue into the watches.
0: Because the watch market's insane
2: Of course, while I'm out of cars and out of watches, (laughs) the market goes (laughs) crazy. Were you already out of of the watches? I am not that into watches anymore. Like, I have a few watches. But, like, if I'm not going to wear it, I don't want to have, I don't feel it. But here's the question to you. What is, what is there a corollary in the art market? Like, like people like to tell me the art market's booming. It's booming for the right thing. I mean, if you have a Kerry James
0: Marshall painting, it's booming, mm-hmm. but it's, it's from what I can tell it, everyone wants the same 20 to 25 things on different price points. Painful. And yeah. it's painful and they'll do anything to get one and they'll overpay and it creates many artificial bubbles that only last six to 18 months maximum. So the key is identifying the next artificial bubble. yeah yeah Yeah, that's that's the job yeah um but i think it's really sad because it doesn't create a lot of sustainable careers that's what's getting out with the whole nft certificate things i see things that become micro bubbles and there'll be one or two really good careers that get they're the babies that are thrown out with the proverbial bathwater. but so take those
2: artists that we all know and that we all love 10 years ago eight years ago six years ago five years ago and they went huge and they went to auction they all made Mm a million dollars Now you can't give them away.
0: Half of my guys that I was like big supporters of, guys and girls, no market. You start to see. Will they come back? You start to see little tickles of them. Tauba Auerbach has a big show in San Francisco right now. And she had a strong result in the last auction season. And she's someone that I was very committed to early on. I got people to spend a lot of money on Tauba paintings. I can imagine in 15, 20 years, people still understand why that's a vital practice, for example.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, the show in San Francisco, which I got to see because I went to the Amazing. Fog Art Fair, is beautiful. Amazing. And it's incredible. convincing. But that result in the Maclow sale was pretty strong, given the fact that it looked like it couldn't sell. Yeah. only I mean, One of only two women in the entire sale that right. evening.
1: I mean, that was an incredible but, picture. But what about Wade
2: Guyton? Look, like, Wade well, Guyton was on fire. Yeah, I think his, that, his
0: market's about to... Well, it'll be quieter because it'll be a Matthew Marks market. But that market for, for an A Guyton picture is off the high, certainly. But you can't find them at any price because, no, you know, and you've written about this. The thing about the R market is when things go down in value, no, there's no just sellers in the market, one. so there's no results. I think that we'll see him hit again. Because for me, yeah, he's probably the time. most radical painter.
2: Of my generation? I can't say Wade Guyton's now a bad artist because he has a bad market. He he
0: just had a show at Rena Spallings downtown, primary works, priced around half a million dollars, and it sold out. Really? Can I hire you as an art consultant? I didn't even know (laughs) about it. You heard it here first. (laughs) Um, It it was a stupendous show because it wasn't like the old stuff, but it was. It was, you know, looking himself, it got a little bit of press. I, I think, think he got I, a lot of press. Did it have a lot of press? Yeah. yeah I, I think that I don't know that, how to read, so it's like hard for me to say. <laughs>
1: no, I think that on right before he moved to Matthew Marks, having the show at Rinas Ballins was really smart. They were really incredible pictures, and they were staged at a gallery that everyone downtown loves, but is not a you know blue chip white cube gallery. Yet. You've been to Rinas Ballins. Smart so. to do that. Yeah. yeah, and they looked amazing in there. And yeah, they sold out at like the price point, and now Matthew Marks will yeah, just I mean, like getting out of that. Wow! Well, but not everybody can come back. No, not
0: everyone can come back. I think they I, just can't. But I, I do tend to think the market. I think in the short term, the market isn't always that smart. I think over the twenty and thirty year long term, the market can be very intelligent about separating the the wheat from the chaff. The the important important careers and important practices. But does that go back?
2: Is money quality? Like, I know a lot of people in the art world that I talk to, they're like, it's good because it's expensive. Now, when it's expensive, we all look very carefully at it. But when it becomes less expensive, we don't look at it as much. Is there good art that's not appreciated?
0: I mean, there is. Look at Long look pause. at look at small. Well, I'm trying to think of a specific examples, but I don't want to blow up the spot, as they say. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> look, look at small regional auction houses, and you start to see names that were familiar from 15 or 20 years ago. And you're like, oh, that's an interesting object for eight to twelve thousand dollars. Things that a mere mortal like me can afford to buy and own and live with. Um, so, I don't think money necessarily creates or is the only uh, thing that denotes quality, but when there's something called in there there are enough people like me that very rich people pay to tell them what to buy you know and that creates a consensus of value both you know in terms of the the discourse around something and what it's worth so you have enough people like me saying hey this is cool you should go look at it the price pops up look at in the last 18 months of the matthew barney market things that i think are very important as a very real artist who went away he didn't get any better because the prices are starting to go up again, but people started to reappraise his practice, its effect on younger artists, and, and saw opportunity in a market that was fairly soft.
2: That was amazing. And it's interesting the way a museum show is often the last hurrah. Like that Guggenheim show, he never recovered.
0: People, people think they're so smart when they trade into a museum show, saying, oh, they're about to have a show. I'm going to buy a piece. You're too late, man. You're way too late in the market.
2: Buy the rumor, sell on the news. Yeah,
0: yeah yep, If you if you if you can sell on the announcement of that show, great. And it's someone you're not interested in. You're a buyer and seller. Great, get out of but it. But everyone that's else
1: right. sold before it was announced because they knew it was going to be announced. Yeah. But there are artists that are so big that they transcend the
2: whole thing and they mm-hmm. will, they will go on forever.
0: Like who that's still alive? Yeah.
2: I don't know. I mean, obvious. Like, I don't own a Bryce Martin. I wish I did, but I don't think Bryce Martin's going away, for example. I wish I could
0: just get one for a group show. I mean,
2: come on. But what no one talks about is (laughs) the expansion of the art world and the number of galleries and the number of artists. Is this sustainable, Nate? I mean, are they all going to hang
1: around? Of course, they're not all going to hang around. Uh, But it is sustainable because there's always been gallery production you know in you know the pre-2008 era there was an immense amount of galleries that opened showing artists that we just don't know about now um and then when the recession hit that sort of reset but then it happened again and there will be these waves there will always be new galleries opening which is exciting and necessary and great and they will be showing artists some of whom will remember some of whom we won't but that's just part of the process i think that that tribeca right now is incredibly exciting And I think that it's still in the beginning phases of what the Tribeca art scene will be. Obviously, there's a long history, or a few decades history of Tribeca hosting artist studios, but now as a gallery district, it's really exciting.
2: I remember I walked into the Odeon in 1987. And uh, there was Basquiat having a cheeseburger with fries all by himself. And he had those fried fries on top of the burger. And I said, hey, Jean-Michel. And I remember thinking that his hair looked a little bit like those (laughs) fried fries on top. He was eating the perfect thing. And he's like, hey, what's up? Hey, man. Like, very hard to talk to him. Um, But I wonder now... when you talk about the production and the number of artists, and I forgot my point, oh, I know what it was. What do you both think of the buy one, give one away? Like I used to be, all these things seem suspicious to me. Now
0: everyone does it. Well, I mean, I I find it in a way an abdication of curatorial responsibility of certain institutions and they're gonna end up with huge storage bills in in five to 10 years that they're not gonna wanna have to pay because it's all stuff they're never gonna show. Um, and there's a few museums around the country, or many, maybe, where you can kind of push around the career and say, "Hey, do you want to take this, or you should take this, because this collector is on your board or is a supporter." Um, and I think, I think artists were trying to youngish or mid to mid career and younger artists were trying to find a way to understand how to control their market, and that way, and and galleries are trying to to hold on to these hot artists by saying, "Look, I placed you in X, Y, and Z museum," but it's. It's fast
2: XYZ museum that no one's ever heard of in China.
0: Yeah, that's oh. you know that actually a front for an art advisor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the next the next gallery that tries to tell me that I can't buy something hits on hold for a private Chinese museum. Um, but just when it comes to when it comes, well, oh, we've you, done it here. Have you really? <laughs> yeah, just, no. What did I buy? for I bought you an, an Andrew Lamar Hopkins painting. Oh, thank you so son. much. There thank you. you. I love that painting he's, so much. He's quite something. Yeah. Do you know this guy? Nate? No, I don't actually. Uh, a, a fascinating character. I do not get into here, but these incredible—like they almost look like they're—I mean, they do look like they're from the 18th century, like or 19th century, like incredible paintings. Mm-hmm. Super damn. Weird.
2: All right, I gotta get one. He's a real eccentric. But that was a—that was a choice for an art lover. That was not someone who was. Uh, although we did sell one to the National Portrait Gallery by chance. Oh,
0: Yeah, no, I didn't buy it as an investment, even though it was, by my standards, relatively high high cost. Thank you. Um, I just loved it. I have one now, too. No, of course, if it becomes worth <laughs> <laughs> give it back. I'm not going to kick Let's it out. again, as they say. That's um, go. Let's I, I think the buy one get one is garbage, but it, there is no solution to the same problem. We, we kind of. Uh, lucid, you know, kind of touched on a little bit is just this fact that there's these little micro bubbles, they blow up. And how do you gain some control um, so that like a bunch of like rich dudes don't just get a little richer? Um, not that there's anything wrong with that in whole, but just, you know, it's annoying to see the same five dudes who bought early and everything and sell early and make money. And I think that was one of the ways to try and put a leash on that practice. Yeah, it's just curious inc- It's just a way to increase their cost basis a little bit. You're also a really snazzy dresser. Thank and, uh, you. You guys were going to bust me on something. I was afraid no.
1: of your question. Should- what are we going to bust you on? What shoot you the on? flaming arrow. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we should close with the question that we ask a lot of our guests. Well, I, can't, I don't. I don't
0: want to just tell him he's a snappy dresser. I want to hear where I what I should be wearing and where I should be going. Well, <laughs> well I'm well, going to well, shoot yeah. an arrow at him, but I'm not going to give him a hand
1: drop. All right, we'll drop the how to spend it things in the in the addendums, but but what are your favorite restaurants in manhattan right now forever this what is a- really tough Nate. you know where to go right you're like a man i'm, about a town. You, adam. Yeah, I'm where does, you
0: where does adam Lindemann go?
2: I, I don't know where to go i i i uh i, I like to go to antonucci do you know antonucci it. <laughs> love
0: it i <laughs> uh, no idea what that
2: is i still like andosheen oh, oh yeah timeless classic right um hmm I'm always struggling for the right place to go.
1: But you've already named two classics. You're, you're, you're good. You're golden. <laughs> you don't need to go to the new place. I know all the new places. Most of them are overrated. Are yeah. they good? Oh, no, I want to go to the really. new place. They come yeah, to It's like out. they're
0: small. The servers are overly friendly. It's like gross. I mean, like, what's a, a good new
1: restaurant? Like, like, Ultra. Sure, also prepared to say. is classic. Yeah, it's but it's two years old. No, it's like five six years old. I don't. I don't leave. A, I don't leave uptown anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm married. You know, I don't. I don't, I don't you know, don't, I'm don't an addict shit.
2: for Il Buco. I just think yes. Il Buco is up perfect. Up, up. I think Donna yeah. does an amazing job. Yeah. It's always good. It's
0: always Il Buco is always a perfect meal. Always. It's, it's a classic New York restaurant, downtown mm. restaurant. But have you been to the lobster place under the Seagram's building? No, I've never been to that one. So
2: that used to be Luncheonette. Right. Yeah. It was like a power spot i, I power sold breakfast. them in there right? I, I love it was having 24 hours we used to go there so when i was 20 years old in new york city like there was a there was there was a shutting down of nightclubs at like i think it was 3 a.m or 2 30 what the fuck so then we go to after hours bars in alphabet city and then we would end <laughs> up at this place at like five o'clock oh, oh i great. didn't
0: realize that was the history of that space yeah is new york as much fun as it used to be nope <laughs>
1: Yeah, summer 2020, late, or after people got their shots.
0: Maybe. I mean, I, was, I wasn't here during
1: the pandemic. There were some <laughs> pockets of, of the pandemic that were pretty wild. But, you know what's uh, a good
0: visit, a
2: post-pandemic visit, is, um, do you know Jamie and Giuliani Volani's oh, yeah. gallery? Oh, yeah. Oh, Flaherty's. Oh, Flaherty's. Oh, yeah. And she has an assistant called Ruby. I never Yeah, we know wonderful. Ruby. Yeah, yeah. yeah Ruby. And there's an Ashley Bickerton show now yeah, yeah.
0: you should buy something she really needs I to sell really, something from and that I show. love
2: Ashley because when I did the Jack Goldstein show several years ago which I'm very very proud of because it was such a good show so then I contacted Ashley and he was Jack Goldstein's assistant that's right and he actually painted the paintings and he went through with me and looked at each one of the paintings and it's, it's so good sick. timing
0: he's not well now no he's not well he wasn't able to come for the openings, which were really fun um, yeah, Jack O'Sean is such an interesting artist to I me. Mean, I really want to place one you of You ever find out that,
1: that one we were talking about? It's so I, sad. I have no memory. Yes, you do.
0: The whole
2: story of Jack is so sad. But I mean, the I MGM can, one. Oh, I want
0: that painting. I know that painting. Yeah. 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 Someone else wants it too. Yeah, I want that painting. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot how much I wanted that. <laughs> <laughs> you should be my new assistant, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but is um, there
2: anything up in New York worth seeing?
0: i have not seen I, I, um what did i just go see yeah i mean in addition to i would say that ashley bickerton show the, the guy, charlie
1: ray show at the Met is insane the charlie it's ray so show is
0: insane at the metropolitan
1: museum it's beautiful
2: it's and so i also good. think it's the way it's installed it's so well done I because loved it. they're so far apart the sculptures that they look monumental like mm-hmm. whether they are or not they
1: look monumental and amazing so fabulous i,
0: I wanted more i wanted it to be maybe double sure. the size that it
1: was but it, it that was a pretty incredible undertaking for them to put together, That's and your, the real uh, estate that he got, yeah, like yeah. right there, like well, we we're
0: talking as, as we were the out to the to well, the Charlie Ray, waiting uh, for you to get off your phone call. Uh which I'm sure was very important and <laughs> worth waiting for. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're asking you, Do, Do, We're asking you. Does, Mo- does MoMA even like exist anymore? It feels like no one, at least in, in our circle, talks about what, what's coming up at the MoMA, what are the shows, who are even the fucking curators over there. It feels like it's, it's like a little black hole over there in the 50s, whereas the Mets really stepped up their contemporary and, and post-war programming. Well, there's an interesting competition between MoMA and the Met. I mean,
1: that's, contemporary contemporaries where the Amazing. money is. Yeah. This is, this is a long-simmering feud. Uh, I think, actually, not to shout out College again, but Bob wrote a really nice Vanity Fair piece about this maybe, like, six years ago, seven years ago.
0: You know, I, I remember that. That wasn't always shit. I definitely have to edit that out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is there room for MoMA, the Met, and the Whitney? Sure, there's room, but, like, there's always going to be a one, and a two, and a
0: three, right? Yeah, the MoMA, but, I mean, MoMA was so important to my, like, growing up and understanding of art history. And it feels like a distant three to me at this point about what I'm excited to go see. But maybe. Ooh. All right, that's it. I get to go home and cook dinner for my kids. to bene, out. We're out. Thank you, Adam. You're the best. See you
2: guys, you were nice to me.